was a famous story I like to tell. It was like a half a million dollar production job, like really massive. It was like a thousand people in the room, live streamed to 12 different countries. So it was really AV heavy. And I was flying from Toronto to Germany. And this is like three days before the show was supposed to run. I get an email from my account manager basically saying, we got another booking. They're giving us 10% more revenue. So we're dropping your show and all the best. Welcome to Production Value Matters, the business event podcast brought to you by Burn Production Services. Here, we explore the different ways business events can bring value to your organization, the latest technological advances in the event space, as well as providing you with actionable strategies to make a business event a success. Let's create an exceptional event experience. Welcome to another episode of Production Value Matters, the business event podcast. Today, it's my great pleasure to be joined by Evan Babbins. Evan is a prolific and highly decorated event manager, producer, and all-around event guru. The awards haven't stopped coming in recent years. To name just one, he was just listed as 2022's Bizabo Top 55 Event Experience Leaders. And looking at his track record, it's not a surprise. He certainly is a leader and has a lot of experience taking charge of events across multiple sectors, including pharma, automotive, and finance. But there's leadership, and then there's the people who have an understanding of how to make events happen from start to finish, from that RFP to winning the job to turning in a superb event. As someone who has managed to successfully produce events for a variety of agencies and brands over his career, Hopefully, he'll be able to talk to us a little bit about that today. But first, let's meet this shining light of the industry. Welcome, Evan. Thanks so much for having me. What a nice introduction. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, I like to flatter when people come on this podcast. I don't think anyone's ever called me a shining light before, so that's a new accolade I'll add to the list. Can you put just an SL next to your name after like all the other designations? Exactly. I wish. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. So Evan, you're with Intuit right now, yes? But earlier this year, you were working with a variety of different agencies and brands, and sounds of it, you were a really busy guy. How did you enjoy that part of your career? Yeah, listen, I mean, agency side and in-house planning and producing, there's so many different pros and cons. In the agency world, you're working on multiple different brands, different clients simultaneously, Everything is staying fresh, exciting. There's always something new happening. But then on the flip side, being in-house, you're working on one brand that you're executing flawlessly for the one brand where you're the client and you're sort of calling more of the shots. You're getting more of the creative strategy. You're getting more of the sort of macro level of what's happening and how events play one piece within a bigger marketing, integrated marketing campaigns throughout the whole year. So definitely I've been kind of going back and forth, but if I had to choose a side, I would always choose in-house planning and producing. Excellent. And then speaking of being a busy guy, all this while you've been at the University of Waterloo for the last five years, I'm assuming that's a part-time course, but also the fourth university course you've done, like where are you finding all this energy and time? Yeah. So I'm finishing my undergrad online through Waterloo part-time. Back when I was in university, it wasn't the right place for me. I jumped around a little bit, ended up at Seneca College doing radio broadcasting. 
finished that, did marketing at Ryerson for a few years, a certificate program there. And then, you know, in 2018 or so, made a strategic decision that I wanted to finish my undergrad working full-time, only able to do it part-time. And so I'm doing it for me. I'm not doing it for a job, for anyone else, but for me to say I completed it. If it takes me 10 years, so be it. But I'm working on that while working full-time and family and being a dad and a husband. And there's a lot going on. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Like I think you and I make the joke every once in a while that a couple of years ago, we used to have hair and these are the reasons why it's all gone. Exactly. So, I mean, you've got to be somebody who's on top of their schedule and very comfortable in sort of leadership positions, but to work in this industry and be successful in a way you can't control every little thing on an event. Because you're able to do your job, you need to be able to have the space to step back a little and see the whole picture. Can you tell our listeners how important it is to have trust in your staff and your vendors and the like? It's paramount. There is nothing more important as a producer than being able to trust who you're working with. And for anyone out there who's listening, who's a sports fan, football specifically, I I use this metaphor a lot. And as a producer, Whether you're in-house or agency side, it's really kind of irrelevant, but you really are the quarterback of that sort of team talking about going through RFP process and even into event production as the quarterback, you're calling the plays, you're putting the right players on the field, having them execute the right plays to get that end goal, which is obviously that touchdown, the winning game, everything else. And so you have to be able to, look at kind of what's happening now that will affect us in the fourth quarter so we can win the game. And, you know, bringing that back to sort of production, that can be sort of explained in a few different ways. You know, number one, an RFP process, you're looking at what am I doing today in the RFP that will help me deliver a successful event in six, seven, eight, nine, 10 months, whatever the event cycle is. If you're mid planning as the quarterback, and you're starting production, so you've won the business already, you're putting a team together, you're bringing in your vendor partners, you're putting those right people in position so that when it's time to deliver, the client is happy. And at the end of the day, your guests are happy and they have that top-notch experience. Absolutely. So along that vein, you must have developed a keen eye for who might let you down or who's going to be reliable. Talking about vendors, how do you vet those that you want to work with? Yeah, sometimes, unfortunately, you have to go through some headaches to get the diamonds in the rough. There's a famous story I like to tell just very quickly. I was working at an agency a few years ago. We were working on a big pharma client. The event was in Germany, and we were working with an AV company there, a production company, for like six months in planning. It was like a half a million dollar production job, like really massive. It was like a thousand people in the room live stream to 12 different countries. So it was really AV heavy. And I was flying from Toronto to Germany and I had Wi-Fi on the plane because I was working. And this is like three days before the show was supposed to run. I get an email from my account manager basically saying, we got another booking. They're giving us 10% more revenue. So we're dropping your show and all the best. Like crazy, right? Like you're on the plane going to Germany, like four rehearsals and set up and everything else, right? So right away, when my mouth finished dropping to the floor on the plane, I started to message a few people. A friend of mine is really connected to different AV companies in Europe. 
I was like, can you make an, an intro? Can you help me out? He was like, give me 10 minutes. And so I get an email back, contact this guy. He'll help you out. End of the day, we got them in. We loaded up. They were coming from, the event was in Munich. They were based in Berlin. They brought three trucks to the venue. They set it all up. They crushed the show. We got to billing. And the guy was like, honestly, it was a slow month for us. So we're just charging you for labor, not for the equipment. And I was like, this is amazing. Like, so great. But it goes to show you that sometimes you think you have really good vendors, but they end up turning not to be so great. And there's a lot of different aspects of that. But on the flip side, it's like having that vendor network and that relationships that you can build over your career. You can call that audible back to football and you can bring in someone new and replace and the client had no idea, obviously. So it's a testament to not only working with good people, knowing good people, but sometimes having to go through a bit of the negative side. So you cross them off your list of vendor partners and you add on the one that saved you in the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. So in that case, when you do find those good vendors, it's great happenstance, but you've always got to be on the lookout for people that you might want to collaborate with in the future. Vendors who are the right for a specific type of event or who bring something new to the network. So how often do you change things up? And specifically, how proactive are you about that? Personally, I think I change things up. You know, I would say a few times a year, you know, you want to keep your vendors honest with you as the client. So if it's shopping around, getting a few quotes, when you're doing a new event, let's say you're working with X vendor who you've always worked with, but they haven't really changed their price model in a few years. Things have gone stale, maybe they've gone to a rut where they're proposing the same ideas over and over. So you want to feel that out a little bit, see what else is on the market. And then if you want to go back to your vendor, that's totally cool and that's great, but at least you know what else is out there. So I would say maybe not every month, every quarter, but I would say I switch things up a few times a year, especially when you have multiple great vendors that you work with. You want to share the love. You want to share people getting events and you don't necessarily want to give it all to one person unless obviously you have like an MSA in place or exclusivities. But I feel like these days that doesn't really exist too much. So you can spread the wealth and spread the love a little bit. So what's the most important way you maintain those relationships with vendors on your end? Like people who you like to work with again, what do vendors need from event managers like you to feel appreciated and keep things fresh? Look at like the swag or merchandise category for a second. I vibe with people who deliver things the first time, like in a presentation, for example. So let's say I'm looking for giveaways for an event. I tell them I'm not looking for pens and notebooks and water bottles because everyone does that. I'm looking for high-end executive gifts that will resonate with director level and above guests for a conference, let's say. So that's kind of the brief. You bring it out to a few different vendors. The vendor who I will work with and who will get the business will be the one who returns a presentation with my logo already embedded in the creative of the gift that has full description, that has accurate pricing, that tells me what my minimum order numbers are, and is transparent. The vendors who I won't work with are vendors who email me back with like a list of links to do my own research, where like, I don't have time to do research like that. I'm looking to you as the expert 
to give me the answers and then we can fine tune, right? And then furthermore, if someone will send me samples that I can touch and feel, I don't need everything, but the ones that you really want me to look at and you really want me to buy, if you send me a sample and I can see it in person and I can show it to different stakeholders so they can buy into it easier and I can hand them a sample of something, that's an easy way to get the business. So you're talking specifically about sort of gifting, but does that sort of apply, do you think, to the whole industry? So up to decor vendors and AV and tent vendors and such, like, what do you think is a good strategy? Like, where is that line, do you think, where asking for too much or too little? Because I agree with you. Like, if somebody sends you a bunch of links, it's sort of like the old joke this comic once said about the Ontario license plate, which has a slogan says yours to discover, which he always thought meant, hey, Ontario is really great, but show yourself around. We're too busy. And so certainly I agree with you that like, I think that's why in-house buyers or any buyer is coming to any vendor to say, hey, solve my problem for me. And if you're not responding in that way, and I think you've experienced it when you were a freelancer and producer for hire and in that RFP process that sometimes that, that expectation goes a little too far. And so how do you balance that out and keep that good relationship with your vendors? So first of all, I think it totally applies for every aspect of the industry from really any vendor partner you're going to work with. Maybe they won't be able to send you like a physical sample of something, but they can demonstrate and show you case studies that they've done, or maybe it's an AV vendor and they're like, Hey, I'm trying to sell you on this brand new LED video wall. So here's a couple of photos and videos of a past event that I've used it for. Here's how we can use it for your event. So it totally applies for across the industry to any vendor. And if you don't have something physical to give someone, you can always show them the case studies, the photos, the videos, like whatever it is. But I think in terms of like where that line is, I think that is a delicate balance sometimes where, especially if, Like, for example, if you're someone new in a company and you're in-house, let's say, or even an agency and you're new in a role and the team that's been there already has existing relationships with vendor partners, but you come in and you're like, hey, I have this amazing relationship with X vendor. Let's use them. You're balancing kind of, well, we've worked with this company sort of in the past and they're sort of the ones we trust. and that's who we give business to. So you now need to make a case of, hey, I have this relationship. I have this like personal in-depth relationship with somebody who I will put my relationship and my name on the line for. It's about sort of that in-house balance, but also on the external side, it's like, how will the vendor make you look good for your client? And that can come across in an RFP. So If you have preferred pricing with a vendor that you can bring to the table to give your company more margin on a budget to look better in an RFP against another, someone you're competing against, it can look good in execution of a show where, you know, if you have a great relationship with somebody, like let's use AV, for example, when you can have your AV partner, you know, throw in more movers or upgraded sound systems or backup for labor that you're not paying for any of those value adds that you can bring with your relationship, that makes a huge difference, 100%. So I think, and then it's about keeping your vendors happy. And so 
a great example of that, like just a quick story on that one. I was doing an event in Orlando like many, many years ago, and we had one of the top keynote speakers at the time, and he gave his keynote. And at the end, I'll never forget on stage before he left, you know, he was like, thank you and have a great rest of your day. Everyone's clapping, big applause. And he was like, before I leave, I want everyone to turn to the back of the room and thank my AV team who made me look good on stage. And you never see that happen. It's very rare you see that happening, especially with an A-list keynote and speaker or whatever. And so when you get those scenarios that happen, those are the people you want to stick with. Whenever we do stuff, whenever I do stuff and I'm working with AV companies or any vendors, I'm the first guy who is like the end of setup day, like, what can I get you? Can I get you a snack? Can I get you a pizza at show day? Thanking everybody on behind the scenes, because at the end of the day, those are the people that make the magic happen, right? And they're the unsung heroes. And a lot of people, a lot of producers forget about that. And they look at it from what the audience sees as most important. But because I've been on both sides as an AV vendor and agency and in-house, I have those kind of little secrets that I can bring to the table to make your vendor feel like they're just as much of the show as you are. And so keeping them happy, keeping them motivated during setup rehearsals will lead to an exceptional show. I'll say a note, having been an AV production guy for many years, maybe not pizza because we have a lot of pizza, but certainly like that kind of small appreciations of a good vendor go a long way to building that relationship. And so I commend you for that. So I'm just going to broaden the questioning a little bit here. But back in the day when you were approached to create a proposal for an event and you were in competition with other producers, what was your main playbook? Like how important is it to manage expectations for instance? It may be tempting to over promise to acquire the business, but then you set yourself up to under deliver and that could have a more damaging impact on your work than if you had been clearer about what you were going to deliver to get the gig. So first of all, the RFP process is so important. It's so vital. It's something that I think, and in this role now, I'm trying not to do this, but I think when brands and clients put out an RFP, I think the biggest downfall of this industry is RFPs aren't paid for work. I've been saying that for many years. I fully believe that you should be reimbursed as an agency submitting an RFP because it's tons of work. It's tons of people hours. It's tons of resources that go into it. So when we were doing RFPs, you're working with, you could be working with up to 20 different people to create that RFP, right? So if you're doing an event, let's say a multi-day conference, it's somewhere across the country, you're working with not only your agency, so whatever you guys do, whatever you focus on, but maybe you're also engaging a DMC company to manage travel and hotel and food and beverage and everything else. And so now you're expecting that DMC to also do work for free in the hopes of getting the business. And so the playbook really was, let's produce the best possible product we can without sacrificing too much labor and too much time that's being unpaid that we can be putting towards projects that are already on the go that are have been paid for. So it's there's a balancing act there for sure. But the playbook really was always 
let's deliver something that's a client has never seen before. Let's push the boundaries. Let's be trend setting. Let's provide solutions that the client doesn't think they need to know about. But we can look at step 10 to say, this is what's going to be a problem. And here's how we're solving it for you in the RFP. So they can see that and they say, oh, these company is really thinking about the future and they're really thinking about what's coming down the road. And thankfully, I was part of a lot of different RFPs that won and that we ended up executing really great events for. But you're also part of ones that don't win. And it's a horrible feeling. And you put in so much time and effort and energy to be not chosen by a client. And that's crushing sometimes. And it takes a toll on people. So it's about, as that quarterback again, keeping your team motivated, keeping your team's energy up, keeping them focused on the goal and the prize, but also being realistic that, hey guys, we could deliver what we think is the best of the best. And somebody else comes in 1% better or 1% cheaper and a client will go with that. And that's a tough balancing act to deal with. But if you can be successful at it, it says a lot about who you are as an event professional and who you are as a company. You touch on the paid proposals, as you've probably seen in our earlier conversations outside of this forum. We personally believe that the RFP process is a little broken, and I'm glad we're sort of connected on that. You know, shameless promotion, we're doing a session with PCMA Canada at the Canadian Innovation Conference, which you should come to and check out that session I'm doing with Leanne Calderwood and Tammy Adams and Laura Bickle. It'll be really good. So as things change, sometimes... What was possible at the proposal stage has to change during the execution phase due to circumstances out of your control. How do you deal with clients when this happens? And what do you do to come out of that situation unscathed? You know, I think it's a lot of client management, expectation management, being transparent with clients. So you go into an RFP, you propose X, Y, and Z. You get through, you win the proposal, you win the RFP, the client comes back and they're like, actually, we said we had $1.7 million for this event, but marketing changed and comms took some money from us. So now we only have $950,000. So now what do we do? And then you're like almost back to square one. So I think it's a lot of people management of we were doing it based on X number. Now we have to shift, change gears. How do we now deliver what you want at a smaller scale? Or maybe it was a two-day conference. Now it's going to be a day and a half of the same caliber, but a shorter time period. There's a lot of options, a lot of answers. So it's definitely about keeping your client honest of expectations. And it's about keeping your team honest. So like if you work with your creative team, and they budgeted and they proposed, we want to do full venue branding and we want to do full PowerPoint design and we want to do all this cool stuff. We want to do 3D letters of the name of the event on stage and we're going to 3D projection map it and all this kind of cool stuff. But now, you know, you have a loss of budget. It's about going back to your team and saying, okay, guys, you know, we have to cut $400,000 Everyone needs to pitch in 
what are you cutting, but still able to deliver top-notch product. So it's definitely, it's that two-way street again, right? It's about your team being what they're going to be responsible for, how they're going to react to the change, but also ensuring your client is aware of what's changing, how things are changing, and being honest with them and not over-promising that like, not seeing like, you know, your budget dropped by $400,000. Oh, don't worry. We can still deliver the same event. Cause like, that's not going to happen. No one will deliver that. Even if you're the biggest company with the most amount of money in the bank, you're still not going to do that. So it's about managing all of those expectations. Certainly. I mean, it's happened to us all in this industry, no matter what side of that equation you're on, either the one cutting or the one being cut. It takes a lot of creative solutions. It takes thinking outside the box. And I think you're absolutely right that it takes a lot of client communication and expectation management so that they never feel that, oh, we just got 400K out of our budget, but we're getting the same thing. Like you have to be clear, you have to be concise with that, and you have to manage that. And very good advice there. So just the last couple closing questions. You've been around the block for a lot of years and seen a lot of things. What's the best event you've ever been to and why? So I would say as a guest, probably the best event was probably C2 Montreal. I was there the year that Snoop Dogg was playing a big concert closing night at the Queen Elizabeth when they first opened the C2 floor on the top of the Queen Elizabeth. So that was a cool show. That was a cool event. It's always great. I love Montreal and going there is, is always fun. So yeah, I think C2 is an exciting event because it's so many different things, but also it's very streamlined of what their goals are and what their objectives are. And you really feel that as a guest. Yeah, absolutely. C2 is like one of those amazing top tier events, especially us in the industry, we look at and admire. Okay, so because there's a lot of event professionals and event marketing professionals that are listening to this, we always like to wrap up an episode with your practical steps that you think an event professional should start implementing like right after listening to this episode on how to manage that build relationship with vendors. I think step one is review your vendor network. Look at who you're connected with. Have they done anything for you in the past that's been really great? Go with them again. If something negative has happened, cross them off your list. That's step one. Step two, I think is, and especially, you know, coming out of COVID and I hope we're past it. I don't want to go into that conversation, but a lot of things changed in that two and a half years. A lot of companies changed. A lot of people changed in companies, vendor side, client side, industry side. So I think a lot of people over the last six to eight months have been realizing when they're getting back into the event flow that who their main contacts were at different companies are no longer there, are no longer in the industry sometimes. So I think it's about reaching out to the companies, making sure you have those relationships still. And if your clients and your contacts aren't there anymore, it's starting to build new relationships with people at the companies you want to work with and going to industry events is a great way of doing that. In Toronto, you can go to you know, CSE and Canadian Meetings and Events Expo, and you can go to places like IMAX and all these different kind of events to meet vendors and reconnect with vendors and companies. So I think that's a huge thing to do. And then I would say the last piece is 
looking at your team and looking at your team closely. And are those the people who you want to be producing with? I would hope the answer would be yes. But if not, maybe it's time for you to make a leap and find somewhere where you want to be as a producer. There's a lot of people looking for people now these days. So it's about finding the place you want to be. And, you know, I just did that. I just went through that process. I'm in a place now where I'm very happy. I'm very stable here. The team is amazing. Shout out to the events team at Intuit Canada. We're really a new team collectively, and we're doing a lot of really great things because we have a lot of really great experience and coming together, we're really meshing. So that's been exciting. So it comes down to that as well as like, where do you as a producer or an event professional, where will you be successful? And really looking internally and really looking strategically at what does that mean for you? And at the end of the day, you have to care the most about what's best for you and where you'll be successful because that's what matters at the end of the day. Absolutely. And so just wrapping up, where can people find you if they want to reach out to you and network with you and ask you more advice? Yeah, I'm all over the place. I'm on all socials. Happy to chat with anybody about events, about really anything. I always say, you know, any conversation with a good person about a cool topic, I'm always down for. Yeah, awesome. Thank you very much for joining us today, Evan. It was really great talking to you. Thanks for having me. Production Value Matters, the business event podcast is brought to you by Burn Production Services. To find out more about Burn Production Services and how putting on events can drive value for your business, visit burnproductionservices.com. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And on behalf of the team here at Production Value Matters, thank you so much for listening.